The scripture for this morning is from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, beginning with the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. True confessions, how many of you in the last two weeks have been to a Merrifield Gardens, Meadows Farms, Lowe's, something buying, planting, mulching things? Raise your hands up if you have done anything right. This is the season to be planting and do all that. Um, I have. This is one of my great, it's, it's a lot cheaper than therapy, and I find that it has a lot of the same effect when I just put my hands in the dirt and dig and think and kind of there. But what, I, what I'm guessing is, is that when most of you went to this and you came back with these uh, plants or whatever you came back with, you didn't look at these containers and think, oh, honey, let's buy that plant. Look at this great plastic container, right? Like, we got to have that, right? Oh, who cares if it's a cactus? It's fine. It'll be just fine, right? Or, or you say, oh, look at that black pot. It's awesome, right? We don't think when we go to the store, we're not thinking about this, the pot. And one of the challenges that we have in our world and that Paul has is that we tend to look at the outside and the gifts that people have and how clever they are and how well they speak and how good they are up front it it it's rampant in our entertainment in our politics in our uh academia and social and in churches right we look at the outer vessel and we say whoa they must be great because from the outside it looks so good and paul was so aware of the temptation we have to see what's on the outside that so much of second corinthians of this book is trying to tell us be careful 
the way these people in your church in Corinth are judging how effective I am is the wrong measure. They're looking at the pot. They're looking at these other apostles, these other people that were speaking to the church there, and they said, look, they're criticizing Paul because why? We've looked at this over the last few weeks. He's got so much trouble. He's got so much suffering. He can't even keep his itinerary straight. One day he says he's going to Mycena, and the next day he says, no, 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 I'm going this way. The guy doesn't know one end from the other. He's not worthy to be followed. And Paul is addressing these things, and we've looked at how last week he said, look, I'm a minister of the new covenant. And we looked at what that meant. He said that we all come, the the Jews come from this veiled position where without Christ we look at the law and we try to obey the rules and we find we're powerless to do that, but that my job, the thing I've been tasked to do, Paul says, is to reveal to you that it is the new covenant. It is the Spirit living inside of you, Jew and Gentile together. So he begins with a verse that many of you, if you've been around Bible things, you probably have heard this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The the word there literally is, is ostrikon, which is in Greek, this made from the earth. It is this. It is this just this piece of clay. Now, he says, what is the treasure? We have this treasure, it says. Well, we have to jump back to where we finished last week. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We saw that last week that if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the God-man, if we don't have that, we've got nothing to offer. That is the treasure. Okay, That's the treasure. It's in an earthen vessel. Okay, Who's the earthen vessel? Right, Us. Now, if I'm playing with this earthen vessel, right, what are the things that the Bible would say mark an earthen vessel, right? If I'm doing this, now, if I wasn't a good catch, right, what happened to this earthen vessel? Kajish, right? I'm deciding I think it'd be a little dangerous to actually drop it, but it is fragile. How many of you know life is fragile? It's one of the things you learn as you get older, right? Take a, take a wrong step down the stairs when you get a little older and you realize how fragile these earthen vessels are. Even for the young, sometimes we think we're eternal and immortal, but we're fragile beings. And in the Old Testament, Paul is really referring to uh, two things. One is we're, we're, we're weak, we're prone to break. Psalm 31.12, if you're writing down, I won't go to it, but it's just an idea of picking up this thing of an earthen vessel being prone to break. The other thing is that these, these vessels are inexpensive. And Lamentations 4.2, and I, we are going to refer to Lamentations a couple of times in this, ver, in this uh, message. So Lamentations 4.2 says this, the precious sons of Zion, 
worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as just earthen vessels, just the work of a potter's hands. The contrast between the fine gold and something that's not valuable. See, the world's, the siren call of the world is to make sure that this outer body is as good as it gets. And it's not, it's maybe our physique, right? But it also may be your status, your wealth, your power. Try to find, you know, magazine at your local grocery store that's really saying, hey, just integrity is all it's about. No matter how ugly you are and how weak you are and how powerless and whatever, man, if you are a person of integrity, we're putting you on the cover of our magazine. You're not going to find many, are you? Right? I mean, every show we watch, no matter if they're firefighters or police people or lawyers, they're all beautiful, right? They're all just, you know, or the vast majority, outer shell. They're all well-spoken. We tend, again, to look at that, and Paul says, look, the very fact that God's treasure is contained in someone like me who is weak, who has been shipwrecked, who has been stoned, who goes into towns and causes riots or revival. It's pretty much all that Paul had was those two. He says, someone like me who has trouble miles, who has a thorn in the flesh, that whatever that is, that just besets him all the time. He says, when you look, he's probably, most people think Paul was nothing to look at. And you know, the pictures of Jesus that say that he somehow is, uh, you know, the supermodel or whatever. The Bible says, you know, Jesus probably wasn't much to look at, but he was irresistible. Because within him, he contained the treasure completely undiluted. And Paul said, my goal was to, as much as is humanly possible, say that if you go and looking at this, I want you to see this when you see me, and what you see growing out of me and flowing out of me is Jesus. And I don't care whether you're six or seven or eight years old here or ten years old, you can be the light of Jesus to your classmates at school. You can have them say, well, maybe you're not the best at this or the best at that, but you have the character. You are the kindest. Or if you're older, if you're an empty nester, and you think, well, what, 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 I don't know what purpose I serve. You serve a purpose of being an earthen vessel for the greatest treasure the world has ever known. And Lord God, He knows we need it in a world where there's people all around that are wondering what in the world are we about? What they see is injustice and hatred and what they need to see is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, born in earthen vessels, cracked pots, if you will. No excuses. I, I, I can hear already because I know my own mind, right? Oh, I just, I'm grumpy. I've got... I got that, you know, sharp tongue. I'm sarcastic. I'm cynical. I've got those problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I'm too busy. I, 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 I'm, I'm working mom. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm working dad. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I don't work. I don't stay at home. I don't do anything. There's no excuses. You each, we each are to be a pot. 
And that's not to say we can't have great physiques and be good looking. It doesn't matter. What's going to matter ultimately, because age is coming to all of us, and as we read in the psalm this morning, God grant me 70 years or 80 with strength. Interestingly enough, Moses lived to 120 who wrote that psalm, but hey, what did he know? (laughs) And it says, his eye was not dim. My father, who turned 94 last week, we asked him what his life verse was. He said that verse in Moses, I was 120 and my eye was not dim. (laughs) Good verse, Dad. Paul says the proof of this, why we have this treasure in jars of clay is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he moves in verse 8, and he kind of transitions, and he says there's, Some things I want you to know about how life really is. The Bible's a realistic book. And he gives four kind of contrasting things. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So the four things that he looks, the four negative words that he uses there. First one is when he says he's hard-pressed, the word thlipsis means constricted. All right, for those of you who have sort of claustrophobia, you know who you are. Philipsis is how you live when there's a lot of people in a small room. You want to get out, don't you? You just want to run, right? Life sometimes is like that, right? All your kids are just hanging on you like Velcro burrs, and you just want to run. You just want to shut the door and take a bath or whatever. You get it. Everybody at work needs you. Everybody at school needs you. Everybody needs you. And you're constricted. You're hemmed in. And that's reality. The second word there is perplexed. Apareo means at a loss. No resources. No answers to the question. Someone asks you a question and you you just have to say, I I don't know. I, I don't know. He says, I don't know what to do. And in our culture, do you realize how embarrassing that is? There is little more shameful, I think, in the U.S. 2018 than being asked a question and, and, and saying, I got no idea. So what do we do? We, we pump up people who with such bravado say, oh, I know. I'll do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. The answer, they really, we, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. And Paul says that's reality. That will be reality in your individual lives, with your families, with your children, with your jobs. It will be reality. You won't know. Third thing he says is you'll be persecuted. Interesting, it's, it's a hunting word. It says you'll be hunted down like an animal. Maybe like to hunt. I tell you, I, I wouldn't want to be at the end of the hunting spear, right? Be hunted down like surrounded. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I've felt that way. There's nowhere to turn. The fourth word is struck down, and it's a wrestling word. It's like uh, there's not much real wrestling out there anymore, but, you know, the kind of moves, whatever people have in these things, when you're slammed to the ground. That's the word, katabalo, thrown to the ground. They used it in Greek, Greco-Roman wrestling back in the day. He says that's real life sometimes, people. But he says the parameters of God's Spirit living in you don't always protect you from that. But here's what it does. If you will trust in God, if you will open up to God, you will not be crushed. You may be constricted in, but you won't feel that you don't have any breath anymore. You, you won't be in despair. 
Guys, ultimately, I know people often feel they're just despairing in life. Just no reason to go on. And the Bible says you have a reason. You were created for a purpose. And when you don't see a way out, and you don't see how to escape the hunters around you, or you don't see how to escape from that wrestling move, God says, taking from 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote that we have recorded in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, you know, there's no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with the temptation, God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. Doesn't mean there won't be being pressed in and perplexed and persecuted, but Paul says God is using these things even in what would be considered weakness for His glory if, and this, this is an if, we do what? And this is where we transition again back to chapter 4. Because we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. It's kind of a weird phrase. I, I always have this sense of kind of carrying this crucified Jesus on my body. I'm carrying around the death of Jesus in my body. What, is that? what does that mean? Okay. Well, there's a constant reminder. Jesus said it Himself. He challenged His followers with this. He said, Luke 9, verse 23, says this, If, if anyone would come after Me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Paul says, I live with this sense of, cro of a cross and, and some of the death that came with that. But let me tell you, what did we just celebrate two weeks ago, right, or three weeks ago? We celebrated Easter, resurrection, right? And before that, we, we celebrate Good Friday. And there is no resurrection without crucifixion, right? There is no life after death without death. It is the same. If you, if we're going to pick up our cross and die, and die daily, I anticipate a daily resurrection. Why would Jesus command us to die daily after having shown us resurrection power if He didn't indicate resurrection follows crucifixion? Right? So for any of you who feel like, oh my gosh, picking up my cross and dying daily. God, it's like putting this on my back once again. What a burden. Can I tell you, I think the word of the Lord is, I'm, what I'm getting is resurrection is coming, but there's going to be a cross that precedes it. You're going to be hard-pressed. You're going to be perplexed. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be struck down, and you're going to see resurrection. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead, if it, if it lives in you. Now, if it doesn't, what you're going to get is the cross. You're going to get is death and nothing. It's a bad deal. To carry around the body of Jesus, he says, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. 
the life of Jesus Christ coming out of us. For verse 11, we who live are being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death at work in us, but life in you. Get that last part. Death in us, but life in you. Parents, you die to yourselves and you give life to your children. Maybe as you get older, children, you die to yourself and you give life to your parents. Some of us die to those who don't know Jesus. And we die to ourselves in order to serve those who don't know Him because it becomes a conduit that they can know Him. That's a hard word sometimes. And there's a lot of things that go into each individual situation. But Paul knew that dying to the himself was going to breathe life in this church that clearly was a church with a lot of struggles but had repented. And, and again, this is a letter filled with joy. And finally, the, the final point of, of Paul in this portion of his Scripture says, don't, so we don't lose heart. Verse 16, so we don't lose heart. Now, let's go back because he picks up something where he began this. Verse 1 of chapter 4, look at what he says. Having this ministry, that's this, this, this new covenant ministry of sharing that the Spirit of God is alive in us. Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Okay? We don't really use that word anymore, that phrase anymore, right? You don't usually people hear people say, so don't lose heart today, right? What does it mean? Don't lose heart. What we talk about is, gosh, don't, don't be in despair. Be courageous. I don't know how many of you guys, like me, sometimes just want to turn the alarm off and just pull the covers up and just say, ah, I just, it's too much. It's too heavy. It's a lot. But Paul says, don't lose heart. He's going to tell us why. He's going to tell us the perspective that he takes here. Why not? But I just want to say for just a minute, I feel like this was a word kind of from the Holy Spirit, so if this is for you, it's probably not for everybody, but some of you have said kind of, I I wish someone else would do this job. I don't want this job anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a physical job or if it's a ministry or if it's a parenting thing or if it's just a spousal thing. I I don't want this job anymore. God, I don't want it. There's a there's an ancient Greek myth, Sisyphus. You know that myth, this guy. He, interestingly enough, Sisyphus in Greek myth is the king of Corinth, Corinth, you know, Corinthians, Corinth. That's who he is, and he's given this task because he considers Zeus says that he's uh, greater and smarter. Sisyphus says I'm bigger, badder than you, Zeus. And so Zeus says, Fine, here your one task is to push this rock up the hill, and when he gets to the very top of the hill. Zeus makes the rock fall back and he it tumbles back. And so a, a Sisyphean task is one that you can never quite accomplish. And you just want to give up. And he, it's, a, it's a task with no ultimate purpose, end, or good. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ doesn't give us tasks like that. He gives us ones that in Him we are to, made to accomplish things. And so let me just speak this word. If any of you just said, I I don't want this job anymore, I give it up. Because you feel like you're a total failure at it, and you're losing, 
And can I tell you that this word in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 is for you because you're doing this in your own strength. And Sisyphus never gets the rock up the hill and you won't get that task up over the top of the cliff either. But Jesus says, would you let me shoulder this load with you? Would you let me carry this for you? And together we will accomplish in your life what you could never do on your own. Anxiety comes when we look at the circumstances and then we look at our resources and we say there's no way. And faith comes when we look at the circumstances and we look at God's resources and we say there's no way it can't be accomplished. Paul finishes and says, the reason I don't lose heart, the reason I know that this rock is getting up over the hill, the reason I know the Gentiles are safe in God's hand, even though I'm the apostle to them, is that my outer self, the wasting away, my spirit is being renewed every single day. And the momentary light affliction is producing for me an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because I don't look at the outward things but I look at the inward because the outward things are temporary, but the inward things are eternal. Compare that, if you would, with what just three chapters ago Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 8. Look at what he wrote. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And that's where some of us are. I got no strength. I got nothing. I'm despairing of this. I'm so utterly burdened. And then Paul has a change of perspective and he's, he's realized I don't lose heart. That same burden that I couldn't handle at all, that was totally beyond my strength, he says, so that I despaired of life. Now it's just momentary light affliction. Now, I don't quite know how to get there because my afflictions don't necessarily right this today seem momentary or light. And yours don't probably either. But we can come to a place where when things are pressing in and perplexing us and coming at us, when we find ourselves calling upon and in relationship with Jesus, it makes all the difference so that our perspective can go from despairing to faith. So, no excuses. Don't care what your pot looks like. Don't care what your deficiencies are. You are able, you are capable if you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Live in me, please. Live through me. Let what comes out, the treasure that's in me, be seen even if this is marred. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your love and Your Word and the truth that comes. Lord, when we surrender to You and when we open up to the possibility that You can come and fill us even though we're not always in situations where we know what to do. For those of us who find ourselves in relationships that are beyond our comprehension as to how to help, how to solve, to deal. For those of us who find ourselves in uh, school, in business, 
friendships that are troubled, financial situations, just confusion over what to believe. For those of us who are locked in fear and anxiety and despair, we ask, Lord, that You would make a way. That You would help us to open up to You. Lord, we turn to You now. We give You ourselves. And we thank You that through the death of Jesus, through His rising again, we have the possibility of new life.